0: It's good to see you guys. Um happy Mother's Day to all y'all who are who are mothers. Uh we are so grateful for our moms, aren't we everybody? Yeah. Love our moms. And uh it's a, it's a it's such a special day. And as we're we're going to get into this, it's it's interesting that uh this that Mother's Day falls on the passage that we're in today because some of the things that we're going to see about Jesus in this passage from Matthew chapter 2, you see, reflections of Jesus' characters in, in moms, and just the way that they're willing to do whatever it takes and make sacrifices and, and just to, to do what it, whatever is necessary for, to, for the, the healing of their, of their children. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a difficult day for some because mom's already passed on for some. And uh, if you're one of those, then God bless you. Uh, it's, it's a, a it's difficult um, I, I did a funeral for a friend, uh, a guy that I discipled a few years back for his mom, uh, just this past week, and so right before mother 's day, uh, he lost his mom, and his sister lost his mom, lost her mom, and then uh, their dad lost his, his sweetheart and, and so i 've been praying for them i 've been praying for my friend Alan Hammond, one of the leaders here, because uh, he lost his mom just a few months ago, and a tough day forum, uh, but I, I pinged both of those men this morning because their, their, their wives had been saved by God, by His mercy, and so they were their, their daughters, and I, I told them in there, I said, you know, though you cannot hug your mom today, you can't kiss your mom today, you can't tell her Mother's Day today, Jesus can. Imagine, in your mind, Jesus walking up to your mom giving her a hug, kissing her on the cheek, and saying, Happy Mother's Day. So for, for those of you that mom's already gone and she was a believer, she was, had faith in Jesus Christ, I mean, she's got the absolute best one ever wishing her Happy Mother's Day. And uh, So um, tremendous, tremendous day. Let's pray together as we jump into this, all right? Um, God, we, we do thank you for mothers. Uh, we thank you that uh, the greatness of what makes a mom a good mom, a godly mom? It's simply a reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection of the Father. It's a reflection of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God. We thank you uh, that in, in ways that, I mean, husbands and dads and kids, I mean, they, we, look, we look at mothers and just see the tenacity that they have, the tirelessness they have to stay up at night to do whatever it takes, and to to get the cold, to get the flu, because they don't care. They just want to love and care for that child. And it doesn't end even when the children are grown. Moms are still moms. We thank you for that, God. We declare blessings over the moms that are here right now, Lord Jesus. And uh, God, we even know that there's some in here that, that they're moms, but they've not yet been able to deliver a child, and we know that's very painful, Lord Jesus, uh, when children are lost, both outside of the womb or inside of the womb, and God, we, we pray blessings upon them, may, may you just heal them, but may they, may they also know, Lord, that, that you, you have des- have a desire for them to be a, a mother, Lord, and we, we pray, God, for, uh, for those that maybe their bodies need to be healed, God, to be able to, to have children, that you do a healing even right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Uh, y'all just join me in that prayer. Just pray, and Lord, for, for those that they desire to have kids, and, and maybe even something needs to be healed in and, and dad, God, for children to, to be had. Lord, we pray blessings. Uh, we pray, as you would choose, a godly fertility, Lord, of those uh, married couples that are around. And Lord, may we also know, Father, that you're not only a God who, who makes, makes children in the womb, but you're also a God that adopts. That's how we all come into your family. And we pray that you would continue to to bring that ripple effect of the desire to adopt uh, in our church and among Christians around our city and around our nation to be those that are rescuers, Lord, those that see the reflection of God as adopter and know that know that they have children that are out there but they're not in they're not under the roof yet. There's lots of finances, a lot of red tape, a lot of things they've got to go through to, to make that happen. Pray that you just give give them the wisdom and the tenacity to do that. I believe that you're stirring a movement, Lord, toward adoption. I believe you're doing that even within our church, Lord, that you're going to raise up some champions, Father, that that help others to, to have that aha moment that, yeah, we're supposed to adopt. Um, and just reveal, reveal it to us, Lord. Um, bless us during this time. God, you're the hero of our story. You're the hero this day. You're the hero of every mom that's out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Here's our our scripture. It's uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Can you believe we're actually going to cover 12 whole verses today? Uh, So starting in verse 1, here we go. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, "We never saw anything like this." Now, there's the word of God. Um, these first couple of verses, it's uh, you know, he talks about returning to Capernaum after some days. It was reported that he was he was at home, and then all these people started. Gathering, he he returned. He'd been he'd been out ministering, um, and it doesn't it doesn't say exactly how long he'd been out, but now he's come back home. Home, who's home? Most likely, and I think it's in chapter one, verse twenty nine. I think it's where where it talks about him being in in Peter and Andrew's home. Most likely, it was he was staying at Peter and Andrew's home. It, it doesn't matter. We, we don't have to know that. But most likely that it, well, that's what was going on. I, I tell you that because as we get into the story and what happens in the story, think about Peter. I mean, you know, passionate Peter. You know how quick tempered he is at, at times. And and just think what happens in his house. Imagine it being your house that Jesus is in, doing some teaching to people, and then all of a sudden some things uh, some things get stirred up. They're there, but um. But another thing I want to point out is, is that he'd been returning from this trip of preaching and of, and of ministry. And uh, um, this is before the rest of the twelve had been, had been chosen. The rest of the apostles had been chosen at this point. Um, at this point, you've got, you've got four at least. And, and some of the other guys may be hanging out with him, but it wasn't official yet. But we, for sure, there was Peter that there was Andrew, there was James, and there was John. Those four four disciples were with him during these ministry days, all right? And uh, so what we have here, uh, just to give you context and to show you what kind of a teacher that Jesus was, what kind of a leader. Uh, many of y'all, you're in some kind of a leadership position. Uh, maybe you're an employer, um, or you, you may be someone that you're, you're a trainer, um, you're an HR person maybe that you place people into positions, or maybe you just lead some kind of a group, a nonprofit organization, a for-profit organization, uh, even a club at school. You've got a place of leadership. And what you look at broad scale, if you look at the life of Jesus, what he modeled when He called people to follow Him, it was basically, and I'm going to give you two different types of ways of looking at the way that He discipled and brought people into ministry and into mission. The first way, think of, think of it in three different phrases. I go, we go, and you go. I go, we go, and you go. Jesus was the one. He came into this earth, first of all, and then now in ministry days, He just started out doing ministry. He He went. And then he started gathering around people and and just said, look, here's where I'm going. Come and follow me. That's what a leader does. A leader leader is faithful in following the sojourn, the journey that they're on, and then they invite others to come with them. Not everybody's a leader, and not everybody's supposed to be a leader, but everybody's supposed to be obedient. Everybody's supposed to follow the way that they're supposed to go. But what a leader does is hopefully humbly but definitely confidently says, hey, everybody, this is where I'm headed come with me that's what jesus did he went he called others to come with him and then eventually what he did he equipped them he helped them to understand what the mission was and he pushed them forward it's like now you go now you go Uh, so that's three faith phrases if you put it another way of modeling discipleship it's it's i do then i do while you watch and then we do and then you do while i watch and then finally you do Did Did you follow that all right, let me give it to you one more time to unpack it. I do, and then I do while you watch. We do, and then you do while I watch, and then finally you do. Guys, this is incredible if you understand. if you Some of y'all, you're not even married, you know, not even close to being married, can't even get a date, whatever it might be, you know. Uh, other of y'all, you're already married, but you're not a parent. But, uh, you know, you know someday, most likely, you're going to be a parent. And obviously, there are y'all who are her parents right now. This is a tremendous way to parent. You have to parent by modeling first. You go, you know. Wherever it is, whatever it is you want your child to do, you'd better do it. Is it I mean, it's not rocket surgery, right? You just, if you want them to follow you, you have got, you've got to do it first. But, now, all right. See, so this is not only parenting. This is leadership, some leadership 101 principles anyway you know what happens a lot of times? Some of y'all, you've been there in a job situation where they jump all the way to the you-go, you know, all to the you-do. They just throw you out. So they hire you. It's like, all right, sink, swim, you know. Some of y'all, you're in fields like that right now. And it's kind of like, man, there's nobody. That, they're helping you. They're not modeling. They're not teaching. They're definitely not doing things with you. It's just kind of like, all right, here's the objectives. Go get her done, right? And And you get out there, and sometimes you... Sometimes you you swim, sometimes you sink. But you know what? It stinks to be in an environment like that, and that's bad leadership. It's bad leadership to do that. God wants us. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very non-communal. You know, it's it takes it takes relationships to do it the way that Jesus did it. That you care enough to walk people through it, and uh, to be able to press. Press them forward, and so so don't skip right to the you go or to the you do if you do you're setting your children up for failure you're setting your employees or your team up for failure so they're at home and they couldn't all fit they couldn't all fit here um, they're at peter's home and and you, you think about this, this is a ministry opportunity this is this is a guy that he actually he got in. Um, you got Jesus' leadership that's pressing in on this, but at least he was open to ministry taking place in his home. Some of y'all, you need to get that. You need to get that your home is one of the most important places of ministry, and it starts with discipling and discipleship and growth with whoever's in your home, your family, you as a husband and wife, you as siblings, your roommates you know, uh, you and your kids, whatever it is that you start there, that this is a place that you say, we want Jesus in our home. We want ministry in our home. That also requires then that you start inviting others into your home, into your space, that God can do some ministry with. Some of y'all this week, in fact, maybe even just today, after you call mom, because you haven't called her yet, that you need to call up somebody and invite them into your living room. Invite them to your kitchen table this week. That you get them, get them in. It's another Christian, and maybe an unbelieving friend or unbelieving family member. And you take the risks like that. Peter is, and, and he's going to see how those risks, what happens next as he does that. But but it means it means inconvenience. It doesn't mean that ministry something that happens somewhere else. It's ministry something that happens wherever you are. You get it every christian's a minister, every christian's a missionary. We believe that here at Sojourn Church. We talked about that in our in our uh, gospel class yesterday that man you, you it's not there's no separation between clergy and laymen. We're all in the game. I'm a coach, but I'm even a player coach. It's like we're in this together. And wherever you are, minister, wherever you are, be open to messiness. Because it's going to get really messy in just a few minutes. It's going to be very inconvenient if you open up your life and open up your home. But guess what? If you don't do it, your life is going to be more messy. Just it'll be an internal thing primarily. So let it out. Any, anybody in here? You're just like, I mean, I know we, this is kind of, like, I'm, I'm up here and we're, we're here, but we're together. This is a big family. Anybody in here is like, you know what, Dave? It's me. I got need to open up my life more. I need to open my home more. Come on, anybody? Come on. I know, all right, I see. Okay. I see, you guys. All right? I see that here. Right? Okay. All right. I we, I and I, I would get, I would venture to say that every one of us, we've got those fences at some place. That God wants to tear them down. He, he just wants us, He wants us to stop clinching, to say, all right, God, anywhere else out there as long as it's not here, you know. Some of you may say, man. My house is too small. My apartment's too small. We've got to go somewhere else. No, you don't. It means a lot if you invite somebody into your space. Now, you may not be able to have 40 people over, but don't let that stop you. Now, on the other side of it, there may be some of you, you live in a large house, a nice house. You live in a wonderful neighborhood. And some of the people, because we've got a great diversity within, within our church, you may feel a little bad. It's kind of like, well, I don't want to feel... I don't want to feel like people think that I'm something or that I think that I'm something. You know, I don't want them to feel strange because my house may be bigger or nicer and all that. Listen, that's all just deception from the enemy. You need to let that go. Wherever you are, whatever you have, share it, invite people in. Somebody need to hear that. So um, it's inconvenience. It's going to be a mess if you invite people into your life. Now it says that Jesus preached the word to them. This is awesome. Jesus was absolutely a preacher of the word. But but uh, I'm, I want to. I love digging into this passage this week. There is so much depth. I'm not going to be able to get get it all out there. If you want some extra stuff, there's some stuff going to be on the cutting room floor today. But here here's the thing: is even even when it comes to this this portion where it talks about preaching, there are two primary words uh, in the Greek. Uh, for, for preaching and one of them, it's it's one that basically is like to make a public proclamation and a formal situation. It's grave, it's authoritative and must be heated and, and most of the time when Jesus or the others preached they would use this one word and I mean it was and it was necessary, it was awesome, it was it was powerful what happened. That's not the word that was used here. This word was one that it had just as much authority, but it was more of a conversation. And, and the way that this word is used, it's as if, I mean, it just points to kind of that Jesus had charm and, and the way that he spoke it was, it was not necessarily eloquence as much as it was, it was so warm, it was so inviting is this word. And just so it was, he was, he wasn't, it wasn't just lecture, but I mean, he's, he's talking with them, he's conversing with them, but the message is the same. It's the same message. It's it's the greatest news of all. It was was that what, what was said earlier and what continues to be said by Jesus, He's saying and explaining what it means that the kingdom of God is near. Repent. And what that meant. Basically, I mean, again, the kingdom of God being near, He would be explaining to him that, look, God has not left you in your brokenness. God cares. God loves you and Jesus is preaching that today to you guys and to me. God has not left you in your brokenness. God cares. He loves you. I mean just say it to the two people around you. Just say look at each other say God cares and loves for you. That's awesome, man. That's a blessing that you guys just Speak to spoke over to one another, and so because because we're, he's saying, "Look, the the kingdom of God is near, and and the King is near you." He was saying, "Repent," and I don't know if you you're like me, but growing up, that word repent had such a it had such a bite to it. It was kind of like a you know somebody pinching you. It's a word of love, because when you're saying, "Look, the kingdom of God is near, and the King is near," then he's saying, "Repent." Repent means turn away, turn away from all these other things that you're going to for love and acceptance because you know it, it doesn't satisfy. He's he's lovingly saying, turn away and turn to the king. Turn to me, turn to the king. God's, he's saying that today lovingly saying, turn away from all the crap. Turn away from from all the the things that will not bring you pleasure. Well, they they may bring you pleasure for a moment. It's not deep. It's not lasting. He's saying, turn, turn to me. And, 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 and really, I mean, you, you think about this. And I, I, again, getting back to that word that's used here for this preaching that's conversational. I mean, we've got, this is sojourn gathered. And, and, and just like when, when the, the Jesus or when the, uh, the disciples, the apostles would teach in the, the temple courts, um, the big gatherings, not everybody got to talk. Not everybody got to use their gifts. Not, you know, but in the house to house. You know, what we call sojourn scattered. Man, that's, that's just such a place to converse. And, and uh, a term that we, we use from time to time is to develop a gospel fluency. And I believe that's what, God, what Jesus was doing there. He was teaching them the gospel in a conversational way, you know, to where probably they're, they're responding back and just saying, you know, what, what could it really mean if you really knew that God loved you? What, what could you really knew if, if God paid for your sins? How would that change you? Could you imagine that? Jesus having a conversation like that. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be having gospel conversations. We talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves. And preaching the gospel. Proclaiming it to one another as Christians. And absolutely proclaiming it to our friends or family members that are un- unbelievers. And uh, it says, v- Verse 3, it says, They came and they brought a paralytic carried by four... Men this word paralytic um, it actually comes from a word that that really means loose alongside loose, so it, it was kind of saying that it, it, that his side it, it talks about a person like their side is has given way um, it doesn 't have to mean that it was it was just a side kind of like a stroke. Uh, it could mean that just the legs didn 't work, but I think it 's pretty interesting that it it's you know that it even back then, that it kind of points to even, it's like the nerves being loose on a side. I mean, it's before anybody ever talked about what a stroke was, that, that that's what was being spoken of among, about this guy or among, or among others before people would even under, understand that. We don't know if it was nerve damage, don't know if it was polio, don't know if it was a stroke, but this guy couldn't walk, he couldn't carry himself. Verse 4. And when they could not get near him, that's Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let the, let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, um, verse uh, Luke chapter five verse nineteen, it gives us a little more information on it, and says, "But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst." Before Jesus, so there was some tiles, so Oriental roofs. This is the Orient. I don't know if you realize that the, the what we consider the Middle East was called the Orient at that time, and the roofs mainly they were flat. You know, uh, at that time, and and there was a lot of times a veranda of the house, and usually usually they'd be reached by some stairs to be able to go up there uh, on, on the roof or on the veranda, and um, so it's what. What 's being told in here, like the, if you dig into the, the original language it's basically saying they broke up the roof, and so now that there's a tiles, it means they had to remove it, some tiles, dig through the roof. I mean it was a lot of times it was made you had branches, uh, you had dirt that was in there, you might have had some mortar and all that, and so it wouldn't be the, the most difficult thing in the world, but it sure would be messy, especially for the people that are downstairs. Um, these guys. We're willing to do whatever it takes. You guys say, whatever it takes. Um, It's it's Mother's Day. And again, we know just one of the the great characteristics of moms is they're whatever it takes type of people. Anytime, whatever, however, to make sure that family is taken care of. Um, I want to honor my mom uh, this morning. 1982, we were down at Panama City Beach. Some of you guys have heard the story. Um, we were we'd just gotten down there. There was some big storms, and we were idiots and didn't know what all the flags uh, flying on the beach meant. I uh, was year, 11 years old, and we all went out swimming, and there was a big undertow. And we were just playing, 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 and all of a sudden, whew, there's no more, there's no more sand. I mean, it just dropped off, and we're all out there. And uh, I won't go through the entire story, but we were trying to swim in, so it's a it's a rip tide, you know, it's pulling us back out, and so we're just getting further and further out. And I'm just an, I'm just this dopey little kid, and I swam great, and I'm, I mean I weighed probably 40 pounds at the time, you know, so I didn't have any problem, but I'm like swimming underwater, you know, because that's I like staying underwater more than on top of the water, and it just kept pushing me out further and further. Well, mom, who's not a great swimmer, um. She's so concerned about me, she's going to try to help me. And in the process, she's sucking down all kinds of salt water and about to drown herself. My brother had to save her, you know, and help her to to get okay. Finally, somebody saw that we were in distress and brought us a bunch of rafts, and we swam in. um, And it took us, even once with the rafts, it was like 30 minutes of swimming just just to get in. Now, I, I don't know if you know this, but if you're ever in a riptide or in an undertow, don't try to swim in. You go where? Sideways, because it's not you know wherever that rip current is, it doesn't last that long, and so you just go sideways and then you're okay. But again, we didn't even know what the flags meant, so we didn't know anything about the undertow. But um, but my mom, I mean she, I mean she was sick for days. De- she was green from all the water because she was not going to let her little boy die. You know? Now I'm again, I'm like a fish. I, I wasn't gonna. I I, I would have been fine for a long time. But that's a mom. That's a mom for you. Doing whatever it takes. Doing anything for family. And we need to be people, if we're Christians, that we'd be willing to do anything to help a friend become whole. That we're willing to walk with a friend until they're healed. Until they're healed. For some, that means you're walking for years and years and years, and finally God takes them home, and He heals them that way. But the whole time, you're walking with them, asking God to heal them. And we're going to talk in a little while just of other part of being a friend, of walking with other friends, that they become whole spiritually. Um, says that when they could not get near, they, they couldn't... Get near to Jesus, now, guys. When when you're trying to get someplace, you know, when a room is is filled and you, you can't get in there, our natural inclination is not to go to the next room and to hammer through the sheetrock to get into the room. That's not just oh, we can't get in. I will right, we'll make a wall. You know, we'll, we'll just make a hole. Right? That's not that's not what you normally think. All right. So there's something going on here. That there's, I mean, there's a passion within these guys, and I'd say even within this paralytic, because he's a part of it. It's a, they're they're journeying together in this. That they're they're going forward in this, and I want you just to kind of put yourself there, and I want you to imagine in your mind. I don't know if it looked just like this, but I mean, but can, can you just imagine that they're probably? I mean, they're, I mean, they brought this guy. He's on some kind of a mat, some kind of a, a pallet. They're bringing him. They're they're carrying him, and and they're like. All right, we got to get to Jesus, and there, and 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 it's all the way filled. It says it can't even, you know, the door. It can't even get into the door, and and so they're just kind of like, hey, can, will you excuse us? We need, we need to get it. Do you see our friend here? Man, he needs to get to Jesus. G- Guys, can you excuse us? We we need to come through, and and these other folks, they're not letting them get through. They're not letting them get to Jesus. Now, now let's stop for just a second. You know. There's actually times in our life that we can be so focused on, on our stuff that kind of surrounds ministry or even our agendas that may, may be around the concept of church that we can blockade those that need to get to Jesus. I mean, just think about the Good Samaritan story where you got, you got a, a priest. A priest who's just like, man, I, I, sorry, I don't have time. i got to go minister. I don't have time to stop here. You know, and you got the Samaritan, a guy who's a, a pagan dude. A person who doesn't even worship Jesus, worship God. And, and that, that he, was able, he stopped. You know, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and just to make sure that our agendas don't get in the way of God's agenda and what he wants to do. But but uh, OK, so they're 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 like, you know, can you let us can you let us through? We really need to get us through. Hey, let us in. And they still can't get in. And so it's kind of like, well, huddle up, huddle up. Come on, everybody in together. You know, it's, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, we've, I mean I, I, we don't know how far they carried this dude, you know, how, how long it's taken, how, whether in that village or from another village. We don't know. But they've gone to a lot of effort. They're like, we will not be denied. We're getting our friend to Jesus. And so they're like, what, what are we going to do? It's like, well, let's not, y'all scout out. Go see what you can find out. And one of them's like, dude, I found some stairs. So stairs to the building? How is stairs going to help us? You know, we can get up to the roof. Okay, what then? And one of them's like, we can dig through the roof. You know, I mean, I just I want to meet that dude. I want to meet the guy that said, I see a pickaxe over here. We can dig through this sucker. You know, I mean, it's it's somebody's roof, you guys. That they're busting through. And so they did. They got up there and they dug through it. They dug through this roof. They believed that if they could get him to Jesus, that Jesus would make him whole. We need that conviction, guys. We need to know if we can get our friends to Jesus, He will make them whole. We need to know that in our marriages, you guys are married, that if we can get our marriage to Jesus, He'll make it whole. We need to know if we can get our affections and our desires to Jesus, He will make them whole. There's nothing that's beyond the healing of Jesus. Nothing. Even as a preacher, that's my job, is is to bring you to Jesus and to leave you there. I mean, honestly, once—I mean, if you look in the story, once they brought them to Jesus, whoop, there's not really anything more that they say or do, because that they had no more relevance. They didn't interfere at that point. All we have to do is bring them to Jesus. All we got to do is invite them, invite them to Jesus, and just walk with them. Whether that's a Christian that just needs to be reminded of the love and the healing of God, and we're praying with them, and we're sojourning with them or whether it's an unbelieving friend or family member we talked yesterday one of, one of, one of our friends in the class just mentions you know hey, my dad's not saved and there's some of y'all that you're like my dad's not saved my mom's not saved And it's like you know what all you can do is just trust that god is gonna he's gonna do it someday have a confidence that god's gonna do it. and then you just keep walking keep walking with them till they get to jesus and uh Jesus is in charge of all of that, but we're just to walk with them and believe that if we can just get them to Jesus, Jesus will make them whole. Nothing was going to stop them, you guys. And I think it's important that you identify the mission field that you're in in the season that you're in. Identify it. Think about your family. That's the core of ministry and discipleship. Think of your friends, Think about this, concentric circles. Think about your spiritual family. That would be your church. You guys are sojourners. That's one another. And some of y'all, you know, you know one another. And some of y'all, you're brand new. It's okay. It's okay. We, we say, God, what are you doing? And how, how can we walk this out? But also, then your neighbors and your co-workers. I mean, what if, what if you had the kind of commitment that just said, hey, God's in charge of my death. I don't know when it's going to be. But I'm just thinking, man, 40 or 50 or 60 years, and just to say, man, God's put these people around me, and I'm just going to do everything I can just to bring them to Jesus. Those that are already in Christ, bring them to the gospel. Keep bringing one another to Jesus together, worshiping, adoring Him, feeling His healing, and, and expecting great things from Him. And of your unbelieving friends, just say, hey, it's not on me. I can't make it happen. I'm just going to keep saying, God loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. For those that you're praying for, for just aha moments in them. You're praying for their marriage to be restored. You're, you're praying for them to be healed of something physically or something mentally that you just keep bringing them to Jesus and bring them to Jesus and you bring them to Jesus. And you leave them there. and You trust God to be big enough Take care of whatever he wants to do. Nothing was going to stop them. Nothing will stop them from showing mercy and compassion. Nothing will stop them from inviting them to to Jesus. We need to pray for that, guys. We need to pray for God to move in our hearts to where we look around and say, All right, can't save the world. Can't save anybody, actually. But God, you've put. here is my sphere of influence. Here is the mission field that you have me on at this point in my life. And God, I am just going to just gonna say, "Hey, come to Jesus." I am just going to walk with those. Who will walk with you? You can't force it. I mean, some of you there is friends or family members, you know, unbelievers, whatever it is that they're just like, you know, I, I don't really want to spend much time with you. They may say it, or you just may just get all the body language and hey, yeah, let's get lunch sometime. And yeah, right, never going to happen. Hey, if they don't want to play ball, don't play ball. Just because God has people that want to play ball with you. God has people that you're supposed to walk with. Don't fret about everybody else. Walk with those who will walk with you. That, be, listen, be free. That's, that's huge. It's huge. You can't walk with everybody. And you definitely can't walk with those that don't want to walk with you. So don't force this issue. Love them. But especially dig in with those that God's placed around you. Some of y'all, you need it. This, this afternoon, you need to draw some concentric circles you need to put you need to put names there you say here's my family that starts there first place of discipleship first place of ministry past that you need to say friends you know that god has in, in your life you need to put your you need to put then you need to put church and and even church i mean we're you know we're about 140 150 people you know in this church and you can't be close to everybody either but i mean who's the people that god's put you around you know that you're supposed to walk with and neighbors and coworkers put them down start praying for them. Just say, all right, God, what's the strategy? And how can I think 40 years, 50 years, you know, forward and just be walking it out day by day? Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your, your sins are forgiven. Now, first of all, I do want, I want to remind you that you can't bring anybody to Christ that doesn't want, that doesn't have a a drawing in in them, you know, or that's happening to them to want to come. You can't make it happen. And so, same thing in this story too. I just, I just really don't believe. It doesn't say it, but I just don't believe that the paralytic, they, you know, they're bringing him kicking and screaming, no, I don't want to go to Jesus. No, I don't want to go to Jesus. I believe that he was a part of this. And, and even with this statement that's saying about your sins are forgiven, that, that, that there's the, the indication there is that it's not just about the faith of these other four men, which is huge, but the faith that's also in this man which, of course, God's the source of all the faith anyway. But it's important that, that again, we, we play ball with those who want to play ball. That, that we walk with the physically sick until they're well. That we walk with the spiritually sick until they are well. It's a commitment to people. Think through a multi-decade plan for all of this. So these friends, they had faith to bring Him and the man had faith to come with them to Jesus, and he saw their faith. He saw the faith of these other, other guys. And, but, but you know what's interesting is that they're coming to him with the expectation of like, look, we need you to heal our friend. He needs to be healed of this paralysis. If anybody can do it, you can do it. And, and guys, listen. We're a church that we believe in intimacy and incarnation, of drawing near to God. We're we're people that we believe it's our core values of Jesus, community, and mission, that we, we love Jesus, we draw near to Jesus, that we draw near to one another as Christians, but then... From that we're missionaries, that we love the lost, we love the unbelievers, they're precious to God, but also, not only that, but things of justice and mercy and compassion of those that are sick and helpless and wounded, and that's huge, we must do those things, but, but you got to know this, that when we're, when we're thinking about it, we can't, we can't, we can't think that, that whatever person's physical need is their greatest need, and Jesus knew that. Way before it was important for, for this person to be physically healed, what he needed most of all is he needed spiritual healing, right? Now, that doesn't, it's not an order here. It's not saying, well, okay, just attack this, where they are spiritually before you love them and, you know, and accept them. It's not saying that at all. It's a both and here. But Jesus knew. It's like, okay, you're coming, coming with, with because you love who he is physically, I love who he is physically and spiritually. Don't, don't miss that. Jesus loves the whole of who you are. He loves your spirit. He loves your body. He loves who you are physically. He's got a plan for the whole of who you are. Jesus, basically what, what took place here, if you're kind of like, man, this is kind of weird. What just happened there? And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. God just saved him. He just saved him. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1-5 to really kind of speaks to this of what happens before God gives a birth, a spiritual birth, and afterward, which says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were called and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who this guy just was. He was a guy that needed forgiveness. He was a child of wrath. He was a son of wrath. But God... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. That boom is what happened right there. He made him alive. He declared, he said, said, boom, I'm making you alive. I'm I'm making you born again. I'm bringing life to you. I'm even giving you the faith. And then he responds. He's going to respond to him now. He made him alive. He forgave him. Um, I don't have time to get into it, but even just the whole concept of forgiveness, how deep, how deep it is. So he put away his sins. The penalty was taken away. And, and really, in, in some sense, I mean, hang with me, guys. Listen to this for a second. In some sense, see, Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. And yet he's declaring your sins are forgiven, that they're completely put away and covered. This means, I, I don't know how this works, but in some kind of way, it's kind of like the sins were put, stored somewhere until Jesus was on the cross and then they were thrown on Jesus. But that guy, he was, he was freed from, from the bondage of his sin right there. And I mean, it, it's easier for me to understand it after the cross and after the resurrection now for us. I and mean, that's amazing that Jesus was just like, I'm taking them away and, and, and they're going to be placed on me and I will pay We'll pay for them. Well, all this, the Jewish theologians, they got tremendously ticked off. Big time ticked off. It's now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Guys, their logic was not flawed. They knew God alone was the only one that could forgive sins. They were right. They were wrong with, about their conclusions because they looked and they thought it was just a man. But it wasn't just a man. It was the God-man. It's was the only, only God-man that there's ever been. And Jesus forgave his sins. Don't, don't gloss over that, that Jesus is God. And Jesus, at this point, he admits admits being God. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Um, guys, um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going a little bit longer than, than what I normally do, but I want to I finish this out because this part even right here is just so important to see that Jesus perceived in his spirit um, guys, Jesus was God, is God, will always be God, but don't underestimate what he released upon becoming the God-man. There is nothing about the characteristics of his deity that, that were taken away from him. He didn't become lesser in his godness. Know that. But there were things that, that were, I don't know, that it's, it's, it's that he He didn't access parts of his deity. I don't get that. But it's like there was a covering that was done so that he could walk in the Spirit, just like Christians are supposed to. He modeled. You look at Jesus, and sometimes we just we just tend to say, "Well, man, yeah, if I was God, Jesus just had all these all these powers." Guys, that's not what Jesus was modeling. He was modeling what it meant to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. When you start seeing these things of what Jesus knew and all these miracles that took place, they were coming from His Father, through the Holy Spirit, in His Spirit, and coming out. And that's the life God wants us to live. You're like, what are you kidding me? Miracles? Maybe. Maybe. I, we believe in all the gifts. I mean, I'm, I'm praying God will just unbuckle it and just, you know, that, that He'll, He'll release more of, more of His gifts. Because and Jesus walked this way, and, and He wants us to walk like that. Some of y'all, you need, to, you need to just ask the Lord. You say, all right, God, what, what is it that you're up to in this? Uh, let me give you scripture real quick that points to what I'm talking about so you're just not thinking, well, that's just Dave's opinion about Jesus and the God-man, stuff like that. Philippians 2, 6 to 11, talking about Jesus. says, who, though he was in the form of God, which, I mean, he's saying God. He is God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And here's what that means. Not saying that he was less than equal with God, but it was saying for him to stay in the exact same, same plane because he became the God-man. So it's something... I mean, it wasn't that, that anything was taken away, but things were added to him. And, and there was a diminishing just of, again, his access that took place. And he was like, I'm not going to hold on to everything that I've always had and the glory that I've had with my Father. You know, and just, and just all of the power and the knowledge and all of that. That he, he submitted himself and humbled himself more than we can even imagine. He humbled Himself, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's part of the reason why Jesus is so amazing. It's though He was God. There's things just about Him that He's like... I'm, just, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to access them. I'm going to humble myself to where I too rely on the Holy Spirit to please the Father so that the rest of these sons and daughters that come in the, the centuries and the millennia after, that they look and say, Jesus was my model. And I can walk this out. More stuff there. don't have time. Let me uh, move to verse 9. He so, said, which is easier, he's saying to him, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. A.M. Hunter said this, he did the miracle which they could see that they may know that he'd done the other one they could not see. He showed them what they could see to help them realize that he changed the heart of this man. He brings up for the first time Mark does uh, Jesus' proclamation to be the Son of Man. He says it 14 times in the book of Mark, and it's the first time he says it. Just quickly, what this means about being the Son of Man. It basically proclaimed, he proclaimed himself as Messiah and Savior, but without using the term Messiah, because the term Messiah had baggage because they expected the Messiah to come and to overthrow the oppressive nations and to be the political hero. He didn't use that term. He used the term Son of Man. But check this out in Daniel, what it says about who the Son of Man actually is. Daniel seven thirteen to 14 I saw in the, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Son of man's God. he's like, yep, only God can forgive. Yep, I'm God. Ticked them off. Ticked them off. Verse 11 again says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Just real quickly, guys. This is just really practical. He said three things to him. Rise, pick up your bed, go home. Do you know what the dude did? He rose, he picked up his bed, and he went home. Practical, you guys. Obey God. If he tells you to do something, do it. When he gives lots of different things, maybe part of it's like, okay, I may not even understand part of it. Trust him. Have faith. Just obey God. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. God was glorified through it all. Moms are willing die for their kids, to do whatever it takes. Christians are called to do whatever it takes for other Christians and for the unbelieving friends that are around them to do whatever it takes. And just know this, it's gonna, it'll cost you. It may cost you a roof. It may cost you a lot of mess in your house. It may cost you a lot of misunderstanding. It may cost you, there's going to be some fights that break out. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but just be willing to do whatever it takes. Guys, the real hero of the story is Jesus. Because though those guys were willing to do, to let nothing stop them from seeing the healing and the, the, well, the healing of their friend, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that would have stopped Jesus from doing whatever it took to save you because he loves you that much. Nothing would have stopped him. He is no potential Savior. We talked about it yesterday. Jesus didn't gamble and say, well, I hope this works. When He was on the cross, He bought you. He made it plain and clear that you would be one. You need to thank Him for that. You need to worship Him for that. And if you're on the other side and you're just like, man, I'm not a believer yet, believe today. Surrender. Because He did whatever it took and it took His life. He died with your sins upon him. God, um, just help us as, as we contemplate this and as we respond to you in faith, Lord. Be glorified, Jesus. Thank you for being our great Savior that brings healing not only to our bodies but to our souls. In Jesus' name, Amen. Here
1: at. Uh... Here at Sojourn, we celebrate the Eucharist every Sunday. You may know it as the Lord's Supper or Communion. And the reason that we do that is because the early church did that. If you were to even do a cursory reading of the early church fathers, I haven't found one yet that doesn't talk about the power and the majesty and the the beauty of meeting Christ in bread and wine. Every one of them talk about it. There's not one. And the reason that they talk about it is because they believe, as we believe, that Christ is present. Not only is Christ present, in the Eucharist, but Christ, whether or not you understand it or not, was just present in David's preaching. And Christ was present when Jeff and Judy were praying and while we were praying. And Christ was present and will be present as the band leads us in worship. See, Jesus is present now. He's here. And so what the what the, what the Eucharist does, what the communion, Lord's Supper does, is that it puts us face-to-face with Jesus. It actually allows us to break down into the roof and not only carry our friends but to drop down ourselves through the roof and to see Jesus in these elements, this bread, this wine, this juice. We see him face-to-face. I thought it was interesting that um, a gentleman by the name of Father John Ricardo says that the Eucharist is a time machine, and in some way, mystical way, that the Eucharist is a time machine, and it takes us all the way back to the cross. It takes us all the way back to the foot of the cross where Jesus' body and blood were spilled out, and his body was broken. It takes us back. And not only that, it takes us back to John 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It takes us back to the upper room, where Jesus is eating this meal and instituting this, this, uh, this Eucharist celebration with his disciples, when he says, This is my body and this is my blood. It takes us to the cross, it takes us to the resurrection. It takes us to the early church. And the Apostle Paul said that this communion, this Eucharist, actually takes us to Jesus come to his to his second coming, his coming again. It's this weird kind of mystical time machine that we get to partake in as we partake of body broken and blood spilt and shed for our sins. So, today, as you ready yourselves, as you prepare your soul to come face-to-face with Jesus through these elements, use your God-given imagination to think about you being on that mat, or you breaking up the roof, and you jumping down and saying, I need this forgiveness of sins. Not only that, I want to be made whole. So here at Sojourn, we we practice the Eucharist by intention. You take the bread, you dip it into the wine or the juice. You are free to go back to your seats to partake it alone or with your family or gather as friends and pray for one another or pray alone. Whatever you want to do whatever the Lord is telling you to do. So if you will bow your heads and close your eyes, what you want to do is just take a moment, take some a moment of quiet as Marty's playing and just ready your soul, ready your heart. Whatever your sickness is, whatever your sin issue is, whatever you need help with, as Jeff and Judy led us earlier, whatever it is, name it. Think about it. And consider that right now as you partake of these elements that you can leave them at the foot of the cross. That Jesus knows And that Jesus loves you so much that he's going to take care of it. And when you're ready, the tables will be open.